Welcome to the Shut Up Show. This is the Brave Solopreneurs Podcast helping you shut up and make shit happen. Inside every episode, you'll hear raw and uncensored conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and thought leaders who bring their best work every day despite being scared shitless. You'll gain mindset strategies on how to brave through your fears, tactical advice to help you define your shut up moment, and impact-driven tips inspiring you to live and work on your own terms. And now, your hosts and co-shut-uppers of making shit happen, Bernie Shung and Phil Gerbyshack. Welcome to the Shut Up Show, Bernie, Phil, and today, Bob Berg. Bob, we are so happy to have you here. Bob is someone that I have read his stuff for quite some time. I don't want to say a long time because Bob's not that old, but I can remember all the way back to Winning Without Intimidation and when his Success Principles pamphlet came out and getting a handwritten note in the mail from Bob, one of the highlights of my career and my life, uh, getting to know Bob more, and I got to actually meet him in person, what, Bob, about two years ago, I think? A program in Chicago, I think it was. Yeah. Yes, at a program in Chicago, very exciting to learn moving from endless referrals and winning without intimidation to his new cool go-giver stuff that we're going to talk a lot about. There you go. Bernie's got it. Woohoo! And not only am I connected to Bob, but Bernie, you're Bob's cousin? What's up with this? Yeah, only, only a handful of people. Um, have have been inducted into my cousin's club. Um, <laughs> the first one actually being Chris Brogan. Uh, I think Bob Berg actually beat Joel Sorge, so I think Bob was second on the list, and then and then we've got Joel Sorge. But no, uh, uh, briefly, uh, the, the introduction I have for Bob is that uh, he and I actually met through the kitchen table companies a couple of years back when Joe Sorge and Chris Brogan were still doing their weekly web show, very similar to this, and Bob actually was featured as, uh, as one of the people they talked to, but I think I actually met him in the Twitter audience prior to him actually being featured I was a big show. fan of the show. I was a big fan yeah. of the show. I was, I was in attendance every week watching it. Okay, and I didn't know that. So the really cool thing about that then is shortly after I saw Bob, Bob and I connected on Twitter and then we connected offline and we actually had a Skype uh, chat. Very informal. I just wanted to get to know my cousin. And then shortly after that, uh, Joe Sorge had asked me to be on that show. And Chris said it was because I was in, in the front row every single week, consistently <laughs> showing up. So I pulled a Bob Berg without even knowing it, Bill. <laughs> wow. That is so cool. Yeah, you did some referraling there. So, Bob, thank you for making time for us today, my friend. Oh, so good to see you. Thank you. Pleasure's mine. Cool. Cool. So we're doing something different. Often you get uh, you get to just talk about uh, the stuff that you're already awesome at, which is the referrals and the go-giver. But we do want to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about other stuff. And you said we're going to lead, so I can dance and Bernie can do the robot. So you're going to follow us with the conger or something fun that will help us all uh, overcome fear. So, Bob, first, um, the Go Giver is just amazing. I've read Go Giver, Go Giver, Sell More, and it's not about you. Love the books; they are fantastic. In fact. Uh, I try to give them out whenever I can to new sales folks because they think that it's all about them. And as soon as you can f help them flip their mindset and realize it's not about them, 
it really helps them. But tell us a little bit, Bob, what is this whole go-giver, I, I think it's a movement. What, tell us a little bit about this, how it got started, and what it really means. It's, it's really, in a sense, just a shift in focus, uh, but it's really, it's nothing particularly new. I mean, people who have been successful leaders, top influencers, the best salespeople out there, um, they've, they've been doing this for a long time. In fact, those were really the early adopters of the book. It was the people who were already living their lives and conducting business this way. Uh, John David Mann and I just put it in story form. And John, of course, was the lead writer and storyteller. He's a brilliant, brilliant storyteller. I'm much more of a how-to person, which I think you know just from, from knowing me. I'm more step one, step two, step three. So I was very fortunate to team up with John who really knows how to craft a story. So, but, um, but yeah, what, what happened is after the initial leaders and top producers picked up on it, that's when it started making its way around to the people who maybe hadn't been doing it like that. And then we started getting great emails from people telling us how their business totally shifted. Now they were profitable. Now they were having a lot more fun. It was, their business was a lot less stressful, a lot more profitable so so that was that was really a, a, a lot of fun but you know it, it's interesting what you said about uh, not being about you uh, there's a, a book that came out about oh gosh maybe two months ago that's really taken the world by storm it's called give and take it's by a professor uh, a Wharton Business School professor dr. Adam Grant and it's a wonderful wonderful book and in the book Adam cites a study that was done of top producing top income earning financial advisors in Australia they wanted to know what was it that separated those people that made them such profitable high producers now, these are financial advisors people selling financial services when you think of it so they measured what they thought you know might be might might really count uh, they measured financial expertise very important of course for a financial advisor they mentioned ability to work hard again very important but that was baseline you know what what was the determining factor what they found was that the the top of the top the the top income earning financial advisors they simply put the interests of their clients above themselves and even above their companies and by doing that by making it not about them or about the company but making it about the client they benefited the most they benefited as well so it really goes to show that what you said and, and what you're talking about sales is, is right on the mark it's never about the salesperson and it's not about the product or service as important as that is it's about the prospect the customer the client and how it's going to touch their lives let me ask you, Bob, um, my background is in sales. I, I was in sales for over 12 years before I jumped into my corporate, I mean, out of my corporate outfit to start my coaching practice and being an entrepreneur. Um, I know that a lot of the things I read in The Go-Giver as well as many other amazing books and resources out there, I know that I never was taught that um, in the stodgy, typical sales type of trainings that we were given. Um, in my corporate world. So let me ask you, um, if if this is something, if this ideology has been around for you know quite some time, what's the problem? Why are companies and organizations not embracing this concept and teaching it to other sales folks? Well, it's an interesting question, and I think there are certainly companies and sales organizations that, that have and ones that are adopting that. But 
even so, even when not, there's always, as we know, Pareto's principle about the twenty, the eighty twenty rule, and you can you can look at that twenty. And so many, just numerous tests and so forth have been done over the years, and typically it's that twenty, and sometimes even the twenty percent of that twenty percent that are the ones that have a higher purpose in what they do. Uh, Lisa Earl McLeod wrote a, wrote a great book, uh, Purpose Driven Selling. And or sell, excuse me, selling with noble purpose, selling with noble purpose. Lisa Earl McLeod, and she did an interview with a person who was a top salesperson for a um, for a uh, pharmaceutical company, and she said that. And, and and Lisa asked what really drove her, and she said one time she was on a plane, airplane, sitting next to someone, and the woman had told her after she they exchanged what each other did, and the woman told her that that particular medication saved her life. And so from that point on, this drug salesperson, this, this pharmaceutical representative, she wasn't out there to sell pharmaceuticals. She was out there to save people's lives. She had a higher purpose. And I, and I think, you've, and it, it, hey, not every product or service is something that you are going to have a higher purpose about. Sometimes a widget is just a widget. A quarter-inch drill is a quarter-inch drill. But as long as we know that people aren't buying the quarter-inch drills to have a quarter-inch drill, they're buying the quarter-inch drill to get a quarter-inch hole. And that it's up to them to do what they want with that in such a way that it's going to touch their lives. The great salespeople understand that. I, I think that's really what it comes down to. Whether certain sales organizations or companies are aware of that or teach it, some are, some aren't. You know, like anything else. Uh, hopefully, with what we're doing, we're doing our part to help to help bring that into the into the mainstream. Well, obviously, that's a gap that exists, and it looks like it's a huge opportunity for you and others like you. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's a great way to see it. Yeah. So, so Bob, how did you, how did you come about moving from the how to to the story? I think that's a big that's a big shift in in your work. I mean, endless referrals was very how to and a fabulous book, Bob. I I, I bought it many times for many people, and I really, I, I think it's great. And I'm just wondering, how was that shift, and how did you go about that? Was there any fear on your, or apprehension, or anything that concerned you about making that move from, from that, in a, really from kind of business for yourself, almost into a partnership with John David Mann? Well, I've, there's a couple things there. First, um, I've, I've made several shifts in my career. Uh, from when I was starting out, my first couple of years, I was speaking on a different topic, even than the referrals and the networking. Okay, um, and I really positioned myself well when I did that. So when I, but I wanted to make a shift into teaching referrals and networking and and all that, and you know, because I really enjoyed that. It was very difficult to do because I had niched myself so strongly in certain areas with that first program that it was really, really difficult. And it took me really a couple of years to, to do that. Um, it wasn't quite as hard to go from the endless referrals into the go-giver for a couple of reasons. One is because really the go-giver is, is endless referrals just in story form, in a, in a sense. I mean, it's still all about the other person. It's still all about, you know, all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And because I really personally love parables so much, business fables, business parables, I, I thought, what a, you know, how fun would it be, really, to write something like that? Now, I've told the story before, and this is where we, we come to John David Mann, where I found out very quickly that there's a big difference between writing a 
how-to book, which I think anyone can do. You write down what you know and you hire a good editor to clean it up. Uh, there's a big difference between that and writing a work of fiction, which is what The Go-Giver was going to be. And uh, I knew it was outside not only my comfort zone, if, if you want to bring fear into it a little bit, you know, could I write a story like that? It was outside what John Maxwell would call it was outside my strength zone. I, I knew I didn't have that kind of talent to, to do that. And that's okay. We're not going to be great in every area, and we don't have to be. Fortunately, I knew John uh, because he was the editor-in-chief of a magazine I used to write for. And I sent John this idea, just, you know, told him I, I about this idea for a book, The Go-Giver. It was kind of based loosely on some of the principles and so forth of endless referrals, but that it was more of a so-and-so more and so on. Uh, he was very busy at the time because he was in demand. Even though people didn't know him back then, a, a few, a select group of people knew John. If you were sort of um, within that magazine's sphere of influence, you knew John was this brilliant author who was behind some very successful books. He wasn't really mainstream at that time. Now this guy's co-authored so many New York Times bestsellers. It's amazing. But back then, but he was still very busy uh, with the people who knew him and. Um, but he said, you know, he, he, he got together with, with his, back then his fiance Anna and now his wife and said, you know, I'm really too busy to do this, but you know, it's Bob, I've got to at least take a look at it, which really shows, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, the relationship, you know, it's, it's, uh, and, and so they at least took a look at it. Then when they were down visiting Anna's mom in, in, uh, in Tampa, they drove across state to where I live in Jupiter. We had dinner. We spoke for about three hours about the story how we would set it up, what we would do, how we would promote it, the whole thing. And uh, uh, about three weeks later, he called me up, and after looking at the whole thing, he said, you know, I think we've got something here. And I remember acting very coolly about it. Oh, good, John, well, we'll get together and we'll blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I hung up the phone. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, because I knew John, I know. Because I knew John could work magic with with this thing, which he, which of course he did. So we did. We were turned down by something like twenty five or thirty um, publishers in New York. Uh, we have a great agent, and and she went out, and then she helped us kind of reposition a little bit what we were doing, and then found the perfect publisher for us. Uh, Portfolio Penguin, a division of Penguin, who's been just outstanding as a as a source of support as a publisher. So it it worked out perfectly. But uh, I got very lucky in being able to work with John on this series. Wow. So so how did it go, Bob, from one book into three? Was that the plan all along? Was there anything how how did that how did that uh, evolve? Uh, no, it was just the one book, but it sold so well right from the start, fortunately, that portfolio came to us with a two book deal after that. And one was for Go Givers Sell More, which would be more of an application base, not so much the system like endless referrals is, but more of an application of those five laws. Uh, and then the next one would be a parable, which which was, uh, uh, it's not about you. Wow. Cool. Thank that, you. Yeah, they're, they're all three fantastic books. So, um, when, was, there, um, was there a time, Bob, let's talk a little bit more, kind of push on that fear, and maybe even where you are now. I mean, you, you're very established. You've written some some great stuff and have an amazing body of work. Is there anything that keeps you up at night that says, holy crap, if this happens, I'm, I really need to pivot or whatever? Well, Phil, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing when you talk about fear. Um, I don't know if everybody has fear or has fears, but I know I do. And, and I've had them all my life. And I, and I sometimes feel within the realm of... <clears throat> 
personal development and this, the personal development genre, if you will, that all three of us are part of, and that there's sometimes a political correctness that you're not, you're not supposed to really admit fear because that's a weakness or something like that. And you hear these acronyms, F-E-A-R, false uh, expectations or false experiences appearing real, or false expectation appearing real. You know what? Sometimes those expectations are real. <laughs> and sometimes we should be scared. And, you know? And my dad always, when I was a kid, he'd always say, you know, who is a, a brave person? And the answer is that person who is smart enough to be afraid and still do their job. And, you know, he used to, he used to tell the story when he was in World War II. There were guys who just had no fear at all. And he said, you know, you got to, hey, you got to give them credit for that. If, if that's, but he said they didn't know enough to be afraid. So it really wasn't bravery, you know, and I, and I think that's true. And so there are things we should be now. Obviously, when there's a, a fear because we're putting it there when it really doesn't need to be there, now that's a different story. And now that's not productive. But, um, you know, but I'm not one to really avoid the talk. You know, hey, when I go out up to speak, people ask if I'm nervous. And I'll tell you, whether I'm speaking in front of 25 people or 15,000 people, I get that sick feeling in my stomach before I go on every single time. Uh, you know, just like uh, anything else when I played sports when I was a kid. I had that same sickly feeling. Well, it, it, would you call that nervousness? No, I call it fear. <laughs> you know, Bob, it's interesting that you said that. I, I just heard that similar comment on a podcast interview the, the other day, and the guy who said that, he said, when you have those butterfly feelings before you're about to do something as big as speaking in front of a group, it's because you care. You care and you actually want to do a fantastic job. So the fear is the fear of I, I have to make sure and I want to make sure that they're going to take away a lot of value from this. Would you agree? Oh, I, I agree with you. And of course, we, we're responsible for being prepared so that, you know, we know what we're supposed to say and what we're going to say. And, and as soon as the, my name's announced, hey, the, the butterflies go and, and it's mine. You know, I say a quick prayer and, and I'm up there. And but the, the fear was still there, and and you know, answering Phil's question and and Bernie yours, you know everything I do, unless I know what the answer is for sure or what can happen for sure, and I typically don't know what what will you know by part of the nature of, of living in this life, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, there's some fear. There are different degrees. Um, so I, I wouldn't say I felt it in making the shift from endless referrals to the go giver. Uh, I was. I was just more excited about that because I really kind of saw the opportunity there. It was something I really wanted to do. And it's not that I felt bored with the endless referrals program. I don't speak enough to be bored. There's friends of mine who speak 150, 200 times a year. God bless them. I don't know how they do it or why they would want to do it. I speak probably 50 times a year. So it allows me to not get bored with my own stuff. Uh, and, I, and I'm fine. But, in a, but I still wasn't, didn't have the excitement as when I really, when John and I were putting the Go-Giver together and I knew there was some information there that could really make some changes with people on a gut level, I just felt that excitement about it. So, so I, I, I don't think there was fear when it came to that. I, I kind of thought that was going to hit pretty well and, and, and do well. But hey, you know, any time there's something, I've got another book coming out in October, uh, late October, called Adversaries into Allies. 
Uh, it sort of takes the old winning without intimidation book to a much, much, much higher level. I, s I swear, this one just came out, too, and you have uh, another one coming well, in. Out for a while, but thank Oh, my God. <laughs> well, it came out to me. It oh. came out to me. <laughs> so now I'm, my head's spinning. I'm like, I've got to finish this first. <laughs> oh, thank you. But, you know, but I've got to say, is, it, is there nervousness about this next book? Well, sure, I put my heart and soul into this next. In fact, this next book is really what I consider to be my life's work. It's it's uh, it's the example I've learned from from my parents, uh, especially with my from my dad in terms of people skills and the different way. This, this to me is a, a very important work for me coming out. So, is there some nervousness about is it going to be embraced or not? Of course, there is. I'd be lying if I said <laughs> it wasn't. But I'm going to make sure I'm prepared to to do what we need to do to to publicize it and make sure it gets out there and. And then the then the market will you know will vote with their wallets and their feet. <laughs> Perfect segue because we've got the magic question that we always ask all of our guests before we close up the show shortly after that. But you know we've been talking quite a bit about fear and uh, you know given us a very great overview of what fear means to you and kind of redefining what fear means. But let's let's dive really deep. I have a quick comment and then I'll ask you the the, the final question. But my comment is you know in my time I've had a lot of great mentors. Um, and leaders, you being one of the thought leaders that I've included in that group. Uh, so thank you very much for that, Bob. Um, and I have learned a very common uh, thread in, in what you guys all do well. And um, in so many words, I know I heard a quote somewhere, I'm going to mess it up, but it's basically, um, you know, we need to redefine success. It's success is not the more money I have, the bigger jerk I am. Success is, you know, or... I know I'm going to mess it up, but it's basically you become more of what you already were, right? The more money you make. So if you were a good person before you made the money, you're going to be a bigger person with the resources to be better. If yeah, you're a jerk, make the person right. more than you already are. Exactly. And so if you're a jerk, you know, same goes for that. So that being said, <laughs> you've seen a lot of great success. Um, in your lifetime, and I know you're not done. I know it's it's evolving even more now. This this pivotal moment in your life with more books coming up. How do you stay grounded? How do you handle that fear? How do you handle this this evolution of becoming more of who you are becoming? And and what words can you impart on our audience to understand how they can do that for themselves as their life changes? Oh wow. Okay. Well. There were several, really several questions within that, and they were all great questions. Um, let me kind of go back with them, and I might need you to remind me of a couple. Absolutely. Um, you know, you talked about how do I stay grounded. Um, you know, I guess I have a, a certain competence in myself in certain areas, uh, and there are certain things I think I do very well, but I do far, far more things not well. Okay, so I never think that because I've been able to, and whether it's, you know, that 10,000 hours of deliberate practice or experience that Gladwell talks about in Outliers or Sean Colvin talks about in Talent is Overrated, I, I know I've put in my time to, to kind of get good at certain things, and I have a sense of confidence about that, but, I, but again, I realize that's one thing. I, you know, I mean, most people have one thing or so that they're really good, and we should be competent and have gratitude for that. Um, but it wouldn't, that in itself wouldn't unground me because I know there's so many areas that I'm not good at. So I guess, I don't know if that answers that question. 
Yeah, then absolutely, absolutely. And and then I um, and then the next uh, obviously follow up because there's a few questions, but it really was one really big thing that we really wanted to know. How do you tackle fear? What tactical steps have you used for yourself and that you can impart on others so that they can apply that to their life when they're gripped with fear? Well, I think one of the the biggest ways to overcome fear is to really prepare yourself for what you need to do. Uh, I mean, it, when it comes right down to it, uh, you know, if you're the, the more prepared you are, the less you have to fear. But I think also one of the the aspects of it is realizing that it's okay to have fear. I think what happens with some people is when they get scared, they have fear, they think they're the only ones. You know, it's like people in sales, when they get in and they hear the, the, the prospect says no, and they speak to 30 people and they get 30 no's. The problem isn't that they got 30 no's. The problem is they hear all these success stories out there and they think they're the only ones who, got, who are getting 30 no's, so they must not be any good. What they don't realize is the person who just won that trip to Hawaii because they outsold everybody got 30 no's when he or she first started. You know what I'm saying? And it's the same, I think, with fear. Um, if we are scared or have fear and we think we're the only ones who have, so in other words, it's not natural, we're going to think it's us. And we're going to think, well, then I, I, don't even, I shouldn't even be here. I mean, I said, no. Understand that you know the same fear you're having is the same fear that most of us people. I'm not, and again, I know there are some people who really don't have fear, and they, they don't. That's just who they are. Again, God bless them, what have you. But most of us do. So I think one way to not overcome it, but one way to deal with it is realize you're not the only one. Uh, then again, you know, you're prepared. Um, if you're spiritual in nature, you you know, you feel God's watching over you. That's a feeling of peace of mind. Uh, so what, you know, what, whatever. So, you know, I try to use all of those, you know, um, and, and so I think that's really what it's about. And Dale Carnegie, of course, wrote a great book when he talked about overcoming fear, um, how to stop worrying and start and start living. And he gave that formula about, you know, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen. And, you know, if it did, what would you do? And then other, other than that, now do what you need to do to make that not happen. You know, it's just, so those are the things we can do. It's it's certainly nothing um, new. <laughs> but I no, think, you know, I think that's a that's a fantastic that's a fantastic reminder, Bob. Um, far too often we already have the resources and the tools in our hands and fingertips, but sometimes we're afraid to pull the trigger <laughs> and actually apply what we've learned. So so thank you so much for that. And and one final comment too, I, I heard somewhere, and I'm really bad at quotes apparently, so I need to like write them on a list somewhere so I can share them properly. But um, something along the lines of the more successful you get, you don't get less challenges. In fact, you get more challenges, you just get better at handling them along the way. What a great way to look at it. So Fantastic. So, Phil, we've got to close up here. We've got to say goodbye to my cousin, Bob Berg. Do you want to ask him uh, where, where we can find him? Yeah. So, Bob, you have been very generous, as you always are, with your time and your knowledge. So, our viewers, of course, are going to want to buy Adversaries and Allies in November, the go-giver that Bernie's got in her hand, and everything else you have. But, Bob, where do we find you? Best thing to do is just come to my website, which is Berg, and that's B-U-R-G dot com. Uh, from there, you can subscribe to my Influence and Success Insights, check out my blog, connect with me on the various social media, uh, download a copy or download Chapter 1 of The Go-Giver, and, um, 
Everything is right at the home page, so just Berg.com. And thanks so much for having me on your show, guys. I just uh, love both of you and, and love being with both of you. Uh, Thank you, Bob. We love you too, cousin. <laughs> Thank love you, Bob, so much. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Shut Up Show. And remember, if you don't want to miss a single episode, go on to our website at theshutupshow.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Until next time, folks, shut up and make shit happen.